0: For allied rivals, all roads lead to Rome and
1: eternal glory.
2: Welcome to the Ryder Cup Radicals podcast, a Ryder Cup hype podcast hosted by the Sambuca boys. My name is Luke Kerdanin. I'm your host today, and I'm very excited because I'm joined by my fellow radical, bag boy, Shane Ryan. Shane, how are you?
0: Rooster, I am ready to go. I'm pumped. Uh, Great time with you boys at Royal Liverpool. Uh, Back home now in the States, ready to do this thing
2: that's right he's back in the land of the free with a new nickname which we'll explain but before we do the other radical on this podcast sleepy joel beale how are you sleepy
1: uh this is the worst call sign i think i've ever had sleepy (laughs) there's better options out there uh and i'm forever branded
2: he's forever branded as sleepy joel Beal. So let's explain I guess before we get into the pressing Ryder Cup topics of the day we're all in Royal Liverpool um let's start with I guess the the, the real key news the Sambuca review which both of you boys had what was it on the on the on the Wednesday we had Sambuca for the first or you guys had Sambuca for the first
0: time I think it was the Tuesday I think it was right when I got in on Tuesday we went to that Italian or the yacht restaurant or whatever it was called right that's why the... right. it
2: was like a tapas Italian fusion place Shane yeah. Ryan the trip from hell but you know credit where it's due a real foot soldier just marched straight into the media center no sleep stinky clothes and then went straight to this like tapas Italian place and just down <laughs> some Sambuca and you seem
0: quite like it yeah and if you thought the clothes were stinky that day <laughs> okay. well you had you had an interesting weekend store my friend because those underwear came back three separate times after that yeah so the sambuca the sambuca was good it was like it is as people describe like a licoricey drink um liquid licorice is how I would describe it it was I I, I can't say that it would be my go-to right like if I if you're like oh you're, you get to pick any drink you want in the world right now probably wouldn't go with sambuca but I enjoyed it and the camaraderie and the theme of it, and you know, looking ahead to Italy, you know, man, it was like a, a 7.9 out of 10 drinking experience, I would say. Pretty high. Joel, where would you land on the Sambuca experience?
1: A little lower. The name deserves better than the actual drink itself. I was thinking if maybe you switched Sambuca and Amaretto, I feel like those names would be more copacetic with how those drinks taste. Uh, that being said, I look forward to drinking... Many, many, many more Sambuca shots in the next couple months, just if only for the bit.
2: That's right, for the bit. For And it's uh, we've got it on the record now, so that's good. Um, the, the, the one Sambuca note I'll say is usually they put it in espresso too, not post-dinner. Post-dinner is just Sambuca. Yeah. But sometimes they throw it in espresso like in the afternoon. I don't know how I feel about that necessarily. I've had it. It's just, it just tastes a little weird to me. But, but anyway, um, let's get into the news. I know you guys have been dreading it. Because first up, we've got Brian Harmon winning the Open Championship, Cam Young finishing T8, JT missing the cut, sending the U.S. team into a free fall, chaos and confusion. Shane, what's your reaction to these latest developments?
0: Well, you know, a lot of disgusting journalists around the Internet are calling the Open Championship a dud. And it just makes me so mad when I hear that kind of thing. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it was like you know, it was uh, it was quite an open, wasn't it? It was pretty. It was interesting in a lot of ways. Like Harmon was unbelievable. I think it's. I would say rarely do you get. I'm not going to call him like a surprising winner. He's a little bit surprising, right? But it's not like Sean McKeel winning or Todd Hamilton or something. But rarely do you get a winner like Brian Harmon plus a dominant, crazy dominant performance. I always feel like if you're going to get a guy who's like lapping the field, it's going to be Rory or Tiger. Like we've seen them do it. So, yeah, just the way Brian Harmon – and it's all down to his putting, isn't it? I mean, he struck the ball great, but his putting was just superlative. And it's it's funny. He kind of snuck up on everyone. Like, his last four tournaments are all really, really good. But before that, he was missing cuts and everything. But all of a sudden, he's, like, top 10 in Scotland, right? Like, finishing T12 in places. He had a second, I think, at the Travelers. But nobody was – you know, maybe, like, Justin Ray, I think, called him. But, yeah, to see him do that – and then you're like, you know, obviously, for our purposes, we're thinking – okay, well, now he's almost definitely an automatic qualifier, right? He's third now. You'd have to really tank to to get knocked off in the next few weeks here. And I'm like, I mean, you might disagree, Luke, but I'm kind of like this is like maybe an ideal guy for, for Rome. I mean, somebody who on a short course, you had a great article, Luke, about how he uses his driver, where almost because he hits it shorter and is opportunistic, he can hit it kind of like in, in weird places that other people can't. I feel like that's going to play huge in Rome and there's, you know, a great putter is always a welcome thing in the Ryder Cup. So I kind of felt like I was really impressed by Harmon. And if I was Zach Johnson, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe I wouldn't have thought it a month ago, but this might be a sneaky positive that he's going to be one of my automatic picks. Joel, are you uh, drinking the Harmon Kool-Aid too? Uh,
1: I don't know. It depends who you ask. Apparently, I've like killed his performance and uh, <laughs> <laughs> should be fired. Um, but yeah, uh, when you when you said... <laughs> This send the U.S. into a death spiral. Uh, I think this the U.S. team got stronger. Um, if, if Team Europe sets Rome anything up like they did Paris, and by all indications they will, this is Harmon's the guy the U.S. team desperately needed. Um, his game is not predicated off power, as Shane mentioned. Um, I don't think he's really taking anyone's spot either. Um, the U.S. team, and we can get into this a little bit more later. They're not as deep as maybe we thought they'd be a couple months ago. Uh, if anything, I think Harmon is exact, exactly the guy they needed to automatically qualify because the U.S. team, especially for the past six, seven years, has become really like an old boys network. And Harmon is just not part of that. So if anything, I think Harmon's win kind of takes the decision out of Zach Johnson's hands. I think that's for the best. Um, yeah, I, I think this is all positive for the U.S.
0: Can I just so, say Luke, real quick, Luke, I just want to say I, I want to introduce a concept uh, called being Luke Pilled. And being wheeled for me is the extent to which I buy into like Luke's pro-Europe propaganda rhetoric. And at the beginning of the open week and maybe through Saturday morning, I felt myself becoming increasingly Luke pilled, seeing all like the Euro stars on top of the leaderboard. I would say by Sunday, I kind of had I I had, you know, what do they call it? Like de-educated myself, like re-educated myself. Like I kind of was back to being sort of like, okay, I still think the US is a good shot, but it was close. You almost got me. Well,
1: the problem I'll- is that it's the English accent. It makes him sound smarter than he really is. He his- <laughs> uh, and then you, then when you get back at your hotel, you're like, this guy doesn't know what he's fucking talking about.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll explain to you why this is. We'll get into the death spiral bit in a, in a moment. But really, uh, the-, the one thing I want to highlight here is the conflating Harmon arguments, right? The lack of harmony between your two arguments. Oh what you're basically <laughs> Get saying. Get him out
0: of here. Get him out of here.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying, right, is that I hear from a lot of Americans, like, oh, well, you know, Americans are better because they have more driving distance. They can overpower golf courses, yada, yada. Um, this is why they're able to, like, this is why they're the favorites coming into Italy. And then I'm hearing you guys say, oh, you know, Brian Harmon, he's short and plucky and straight. And, you know, that's going to be great for the Italian team. So that's like, okay, alarm bells going off here. And then you go back and you actually look at the Italian Open leaderboards. And it's it's our man, Maronk, who's won the last time around and finished second the time before that, who's a very long spray hitter. So... And, and, you know, it, it also begs the question that Rory's one of the longest players on tour. John Rahm's a bomber. You know, Sip Strack is certainly not short. There's, like, any number of uh, European players. Victor Hovland hits it miles. So, you know, it w- when we talk about setting up the course, we're really talking it up to tailoring it to very specific strengths of players you know like bulging the fairway at certain wits or you know trotting players out not necessarily a type of player um so i, I don't know i just i get a little confused by this like oh brian Harmer will be a plucky asset because he hits the ball short but also you know so and so american will be a plucky asset because he hits the ball really far it's just to me they're two different arguments
0: well, I always say, like, one of my favorite pieces uh, from all week, Luke, was your piece about the way Harmon drives the ball. And the idea that there's, like, almost, correct me if I'm putting the wrong words in your mouth, but there's almost like this weird, for certain courses, or there, there's this, like, ideal where it's like, if you can hit it straight, right? It doesn't matter if you hit it not quite as long because other guys in some places are going to be forced to use three wood and you're actually going to outdrive them. So your raw driving distance number numbers aren't necessarily representative so again we don't know what they're going to do in italy exactly and they may tailor it to their own their own guys because they have long hitters too but it just feels like in a rider cup that is man if you can get it out there like 290 on a hole where everyone else is like well i can't really take driver here yeah I, I just feel it just seems like a sneaky strength to have uh but especially when you couple it with a guy who's just completely on fire with the putter am i wrong am i am i wrong luke I'm,
2: I'm a little, I, you're not wrong. You're a little, ha, you're, you're a little, ha, I'm a little hamstrung by my own argument. I was proud of that piece. Um, <laughs> but I should, I should have probably not published it for the sake
1: of it. I would also interject on two things on that front. Uh, in 2018, when the, the French Open, they did not set that up anything close to how the Ryder Cup ultimately played out. So to use that, use what happened earlier should the Italian Open, I think we have to be careful with that. Second, on terms of you're, you're right in the sense of, yeah, like European has a lot of power, too. And we kind of heard that at 2021 Whistling Straits of, hey, so many of these European guys play the PGA Tour, which have these generous fairways, that are you really aiding into the U.S.'s hands by having Whistling Straits um, be as generous as it was off the tee? And the two things I kind of got back on that front were, yeah, this is what they're used to, though and if you went the opposite route it would kind of favor a european team if you kind of yeah you have rom you have Hoblin, you have rory outside from that though you didn't have a lot of bombers on that team and the other thing i've heard at least when it came to 2018 was it wasn't even necessarily about tailoring to accuracy it was just more making the americans uncomfortable and i think that's what really kind of feeds into europeans hands is what can we do to just throw these other guys off even if it might throw off throw us off a little bit too we never have the crowds in our favor there's this, I think, inherent uh, gumption and grittiness that the Europeans pride themselves on. Um, and I think anything... the Golfers are a creature of habit, right? If you can throw them off by any any poss- any scent possible, I think you take that if you're the home team. So th- I think that's when we talk about course setup, especially when it comes to fairway width and um, things of that nature. I think that's what we're kind of referring to.
0: Yeah, and to, uh, your, to your point, just real quick, Luke, like they hated whistling straights, like the Europeans. Like I remember overhearing... He Poulter be like there's just no rough like they've literally cut every the only obstacles are like the ocean <laughs> or, or I mean the <laughs> like Lake Michigan and on the other side like a different hole they they really they they were uncomfortable I think it's such a good way to put it
2: yeah no it, there's definitely grains of, of truth there though I think ultimately my if I was a if I you know I'm half American but if I was an American Ryder Cup fan my hesitation would be we have a pretty huge data set from a guy like Brian Hunt and what that data set says is that he's a guy who is a very unique player, needs to get incredibly hot with his putter in order to win, and that only happens occasionally. And that's exactly what happened to Rory Liverpool. He gained 11 and a half strokes with his putter over the course of the four rounds. If Rory McIlroy puttered like Brian Harmon, he would have shot 18 under. Brian Harmon won at 13 under. It's yeah. in- incredible how good this guy is putted at Hoyle and um before like you know the week before Hoyle he was coming in at 20th in the rankings which you know sounds about right this is not me being disrespectful to Brian Harmon that's just that's probably a relatively fair reflection of what his
0: form was before. I'm on high I'm on high alert for that, Luke, after after sleepy joke. <laughs> <laughs> <Sleepy Joel, laughs> any any perceived disrespect, I'm ready to pounce. Just just watch yourself. I'm I'm here. I'm
2: here. So so what and so that kind of leads me to this death spiral, um death spiral circling the drain uh uh mindset, which which um Basically, I have come to because I've witnessed it twice, um, both times, but the last two Ryder Cups in America, I feel like this happened to the European team, where you get yourself into a situation where the guys who take up the automatic spots aren't your best players. They're your kind of hottest players in June and July, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So like Brian Harmon gets on an impossible hot streak in July with his putter, and then he locks up a spot effectively. Either locks up a spot or makes himself unable to be not picked, you know. Um, And then, then that forces the team captain to have to use his captain's picks on, like, effectively patching together the team, which is either which which means basically either picking guys based on their past record, picking guys on faith, and in doing so, skipping over guys who got really close. I mean, in this in this post that we published. The other day, yesterday, um, at the time of recording, we all said that we would all skip over Keegan Bradley, and you know, so that's like there's some inherent friction here, and there's just a lot of messiness. I think that stuff like this causes, and stuff like, you know, Cam Young, who, for instance, finished T eight. Suddenly, you know, you're starting to get into this like JT situation, where like, oh, should I pick my guy who's not playing well, and at the expense of other guys? And I guess I'm just curious how you guys square that circle.
0: I um. You know, it's funny, to look, I'm looking at his uh, OWGR page right now, and to your point, like, miscut at the Masters, right? Miscut at the PGA, U.S. Open, T-43. Now, if you believe Harmon, after the U.S. Open, he had that little mirror putting aid thing he found in his barn, right? And, like, everything, like, transformed. So, now, all of a sudden, second at Travelers, rocket mortgage, 12th at the Scottish Open, and then you know, winning the open championship. But I think, I think you're right, Luke. And and the two things that makes me think of first off, if I'm Zach Johnson, I'm very curious to see how Harmon plays uh, in the playoffs, right? We want him to, you want the idea that it's not just like this brief, like month and a half spell where he caught fire, then it's going to go away. Maybe there's like a hangover. I mean, the guy has never won a major before. He hasn't won period in six years. So you hope that doesn't happen and you hope his putting stays on fire the other thing it makes me think of is we are now in the era uh, on both teams of six automatic picks. And the idea behind that is, look, I, I, as a captain, should have the freedom to construct my team as I see fit. It doesn't matter if a guy's seventh. Like, if you're seventh, you might not get picked. So we talked about if Harmon, he's third now, he would have to play really poorly to get surpassed and to lose that automatic spot. However, if he does, if he finishes seventh because he misses three cuts in a row and some other guys catch fire, I think, you know, Hank Johnson should be free not to pick him. As crazy as it sounds, he won the last major. If he's shooting 77s and not doing it anymore, that's why you have the six automatic picks. So I I do credit you in that sense of like – if this is just a real temporary hot spell that's why that's why you have this new system in place never works
2: that cleanly though you can be uh, like if, if he drops out of the automatic spots, or keegan is the last guy out of the automatic spot of course zach johnson has the right to not pick him but it's just a weird look when you start going pretty far down the order especially for guys who you have a certain preference for just to get them on the team based on like there's just messiness there. there's there's, you media know, media's going to ask questions about all that stuff. I mean, am I reading too much into this, Joel? What do you think?
1: A little bit. I mean, it is. this is his first major win. He only has two previous ones before this. And yet he is in third right now. It's not just off of one tournament. We saw that just two years ago, right? Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship. It didn't really come close to knock on the door for automatic qualifying. So, yeah, 20th sounds kind of far down heading into the tournament. But I think personally, that's me. It shows you like this wasn't a guy who was in the thirties or forties. He's been playing well. Um, There's also a guy who's had a lot of match play credentials before. Um, this isn't just some slot. I, I I understand the aversion to having him as an automatic qualifier, but I think this is a good problem to have. And I, I just see him as nothing but an asset asset for the U S team. So um, to me, the, the fact, as I mentioned earlier, I think it becomes sticky if he is a captain's pick because he's not doesn't have that sex appeal uh, in terms of name recognition with the common fan who maybe doesn't watch in week out in the PGA Tour. Um, But to have him as an automatic qualifier, I think that's just I think that's a good thing for the U.S.
2: And so, all right, so rationalizations fully taken hold of sleepy Joel and Bag Boy here. But um, so I guess there's, I guess before we do fully shift gears to Team Europe, what do we make of this JT situation? I mean, you know, as from the outside looking in, I, I can't fathom that JT that Zach Johnson won't pick JT personally. But I mean, w- w- what do you guys think? And is that even a good thing? Even if you do think he's going to be picked.
1: Yeah, I think for me, you know, just for say as a golf rider, we don't root for the Americans or Europeans. We just root for the story and we root for the competition. Having said all that, watching how European has played the last two decades, it was always on the American side. Like, why can't we do what the Europeans do with we're going to pick someone like Ian Poulter, who no matter how they're playing, we know how they play in this event. And just put the recent form aside. And if you're banking on the class, that's what you want to do. I don't understand how you can think, why don't we do this and then not pick Justin Thomas, the guy who has scored 17 and a half points for the Americans across two Ryder Cups and three President's Cups. Um, arguably on track to be the best match play player in U.S. history. Like, that's the trajectory right now. As, as hyperbolic as that sounds, that's how good he's been. Um, He's also been really the heart and soul for the past couple uh, U.S. teams. Kind of started that 2019 President's Cup and carried over to 2021 uh, Ryder Cup. Obviously played really well with Jordan Spieth last year at the President's Cup. Um, I mean, he's just one of those guys who really buys into the crowd, engages with the crowd, um, really gets under the opponent's skin, which very few American players have been able to do that over the last decade or so. I just, yeah, he's definitely in a precarious position that could get worse if he... I mean, credit to him for playing the 3M Open and Wyndham. That, hey, he really cares about not only getting in the playoffs, but he wants to show, he wants to earn his way onto the team. I, I say precarious because if he then misses the cut at both these events or just doesn't look great, it really hurts his case rather than, hey, this guy's really trying to help out. So, But I, I'm with you. I just, I cannot envision leaving him at home. I, I think understanding the Ryder Cup is still 10 weeks out. Making on the fact that he could eventually get right, and even if he doesn't, maybe that in this environment is exactly what he needs to get get back on the right track. If I'm Zach Johnson, he's already on the team. That, and I, if, I, if I'm Johnson, I tell him that right now.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with Joel. I think one point that cannot be emphasized enough is that if you look at just the competitions he's played so far, you can't overstate how historically great. Justin Thomas has been in team competitions like it is mind-blowing and from a number that's just from a numbers perspective but you know I was at Melbourne the U.S. did not win that President's Cup without Justin Thomas they would have lost without him I mean he put them on their back while they were they would have been crushed they wouldn't have had a chance to come back on Sunday and you know it but it's been the same I mean obviously Paris you know you get killed but Justin Thomas is one of the only guys playing well he's really good at whistling straights uh, he's really good uh, in Charlotte at the President's Cup the it it's superlative the way he's been. And so, you know, I'm looking at it like I almost wonder if we're overstating his struggles just a little. Okay, so look at the Scottish Open. Three of the four rounds, you know, in the 60s. Granted, I mean, you know, he ends up T60. It's not like he dominated Travelers Championship. He shoots a 64 on Friday, 62 on Saturday, 67 on Sunday. Yeah, he had a 76 at the Rocker Mortgage. Of course, he shot an 82 at the Open. That was terrible. But he comes back and shoots a 71. The guy is so good in these events and i don't you know i i think you can overrate like the the oh he's a locker room leader you know i don't think the americans need that i just think they need a proven winner um especially when you're gonna have like maybe a few new guys on there uh i'm with joel i would almost be inclined if i was zach to say you know i'm throwing my chips on the table justin i want you to go play these events i want you to prove yourself but look you're on the team like we need you and especially from a leadership perspective I almost wonder if that would calm him down and reassure him rather than the opposite thing of going, uh, Hey, you know how you play these next two events, you know, that that's going to dictate whether you're on the Ryder cup. I mean, that's, you know, that kind of pressure. And it's a kind of like a negative pressure almost. You don't want to give anyone a lifetime achievement award, but I just, yeah, I've got to say like JT should be on the team.
2: All right. Well, with the team USA circling the drain, let's let's uh, stay up for Sonia sunnier waters and uh, talk about the European team. Which is trending way up, way up. Um, let's just run down the open leaderboard here. Your your, your guy Brian Harmon obviously collected victory. We've got Sepp Straka who's kind of on the outside looking in. He finished T second alongside John Rahm also in T second. We got Rory in T six. We had Tommy Fleetwood, Notra, top 10. We had Victor Hovland in the hunt, but dropped down to T13 during the final day. We got Terrell Hatton inside the top 20, Moronk inside the top 25, and a few other Europeans in between. I mean, how big a week was this
0: for Europe, guys? Luke, I think I just figured it out. You are a little bit like a crypto guy with Team Europe. Uh, It's like sometimes you're going to be right, but always the enthusiasm is there, no matter what the situation on the ground. I look forward to when Europe's down like 11 to to not, uh, you know, what would it would be, 11 to 5 going into Sunday, and you're still like, this is fine. This is exactly what we wanted. It's perfect. We wanted the Americans overconfident, ripe for the kill. I'm sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> what am I supposed to be answering here? <laughs> the question the question you're supposed to be
2: answering <laughs> is, is is how high Team Europe can, can go after this just fantastic result.
0: Yeah, I talked about being, you know, potentially Luke-pilled for a little while there. I think it was good. I, you know, it's funny how the leaderboard it still looked good for Europe at the end of Sunday, but not as good as it did Friday. Right. Like it was just things kind of transformed a little. You had the Americans winning more international players up there like Jason day and stuff. Uh, But yeah, I mean, just a good week for a lot of those guys showing they can play. I think uh, I kind of disagreed with you guys in the, in the post that we did yesterday. I actually think Luke Donald has maybe the tougher job right now because there's a few, you got your top guys, but then there's like a few tough choices to be made. I think as you go down. So uh, yeah. But to answer your question, I did think it was a pretty good week for Europe. And just in general, maybe like a good few months for Europe in the sense of after whistling Straits, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Like the Europeans were like, don't worry, we got the Hoy guards coming or Guido Migliocci or whatever. And you're like, oh, man. That sounds so hopeful in, in the most condescending way possible. Like the most condescending way I can communicate how, how hopeful that <laughs> sounds. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, now it's like, yeah, these guys are pretty pretty good. And and being in a home rider Cup, I, I can start to see it. I can start to see it. And uh, good week. I, I would say definitely a good week. Shane can start to see it. Joel, what do you think?
1: I don't know. It's, don't get me wrong. It was good. But I feel like this same arguments we just made against brian harman could be made against sepp straka like this guy who what four weeks ago like we europe was trying to talk themselves into as a possibility it's like oh do we really have to go down that far and then he like plays well to john deere and plays well at the open it's like all right sepp straka he's in he's locked in um which i don't necessarily even disagree with it's just if you're going to have that Attitude towards Straka, you gotta have that. You, it's gotta be that and amplified toward Harmon. Um, and that, honestly, Harmon's got a better track record than Straka too. So. Not this year.
2: Straka has more major top tens this year than uh, than Brian Harmon. He's got more wins than Xander Shoffley this season too.
1: That's not saying much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but it,
2: I it, know. It, I know. But in all seriousness, I do know. I do know what you mean. I think there is an element of Europe. Like, really ginning themselves up. Personally, I think you see it a little more towards a guy like Moronk than a guy like, uh, or, you know, or maybe even a guy like um, Ludwig than a guy like Sepp. I kind of think Sepp, for whatever reason, is being. Slightly underrated by European fans. I mean, he kind of—he's yeah. streaky, but he shows up. He not just—he's multiple PG Tour winner now. He shows he showed up in two of the four majors. Like, I think um, someone like Ludwig is like an interesting idea, but some people are already picking him. Like, he's a—he's a lock for this team, and that to me feels a little more desperate than um, adding set to this—you know—bottom half of what is now this effectively set European Ryder Cup. Team, um, I think he can do some damage. You know, he's maybe not a four-ball, you know, not a uh, foursomes guy, but he's probably more of a four-ball guy. And I could see him. You know, you could do quite well with Roy, for instance. You know, both at draws, like you know, he 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 could maybe he's kind of low-key, but someone like Roy may. I think Roy will maybe do his best, like taking somebody under his wing like that. And so, um yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of cautiously optimistic on set
0: You know what? I just want to make a point here that's not at all scientific. But when you look at the European team, who are the guys that scare you? And I see just one guy, and it's John Rahm, and he really scares me. But he's uh, you know, I just like who are the dogs that, you know what I mean? Like the guys that you want to get in there in the muck with, because that's what you're gonna need, I think, still, even at home, even with you know, a rising tide or whatever, and a kind of a you know, an American team that has a lot of question marks, you're gonna need people that just like dig in and get wins. And it's like Victor Hovland, Tommy Fleetwood, Rory to some extent. Matt Fitzpatrick. I I just look at these guys and it's just like there's – where's your Ian Poulter? You know what I mean? Where's your Sergio? Where are your guys that are the real battle horses? That's my one thing. And I know it's completely psychological and I could look like an idiot by the time Italy comes around. But I just think like there's that – there's no dogs there, right, other than John Rahm and maybe Rory if the week happens to be going great for him, uh, which it may not, right? So I I just – who, who are they, Luke? Like, who am I missing? Who are the young guys that are come up? Who Who is the guy in like 15 years that's going to be like Ian Poulter or somebody like that?
2: Well, it's tough because, like, this is a team in transition. You know, I think, like, that's definitely – that was the big takeaway we saw in Wisconsin, right? Where, like, we don't have our new Ian Poulter because Ian Poulter – played in the last rider Cup and he was uh, you know so like there's yeah, gonna be guys yeah. who, who grow into that role somewhat um so in some ways like who knows like it could be Shane Lowry he made a you know he he kind of was a kind of a uh he, he made a big part of the last Ryder Cup he was kind of a bit of an emotional leader got Rory's back you know major winner like we I, I don't think it's, it's a role we necessarily think you could be in this current moment but it just takes one right of cup it just takes a couple of big putts in order to establish yourself that way um which actually bridges quite nicely though Shane's question into I want us to go down the current you know the current rankings let's you know and then just do a like a bit of a head-to-head who would you rather have on your team um because the other thing I want to
1: interject real quick is on that point I do think Hodland is going to be that guy uh just how well he played at, I know the points didn't reflect it, but if you if you followed his play at Whistling Straits, I just thought he was lights out for a guy in his first Ryder Cup. He's been in essentially every major this year except for the U.S. Open, um, and the, I think there was that stat he had been in the at least the penultimate group or the final group in four of the last five majors. That's a guy who I feel like they can go to war with, um, and also again, Poulter. Obviously, the reputation was there. He scared the hell out of the Americans. He also had not had a winning Ryder Cup since 2012. So let's be careful of deifying him too much. But I, if you're looking for that guy, we can count on. I do think Hovland can be that guy for Europe.
0: Yeah, I was obnoxiously giving the thumbs down the entire time you said that. Hovland has been abysmal every time, every, on, like almost every Sunday. He's been he's just kind of looked lost out there. You know, we walked with him at um, at Oak Hill. He wasn't great at the Masters. He wasn't great here. I, I mean, it, there is something to be said for just the skill of getting there, obviously, and like he's had a great year, but he has not been like a fighter, I don't think, on Sundays. Am I crazy, or I, I just think like I, I would almost make the opposite point, where like where is this guy's where is this guy's moxie when he, when he's really needed it this year? He could have he could have two major titles this year.
2: Yeah, he, he has seemed to shrink a little bit uh under under this pressure which is which has been a little weird sometimes that could just be guys sorting it through sorting through it you know i feel like converting a major is is one of those things that's like a process for everyone and it looks slightly different with everyone but um you know I, it, it's always tough to tell right because like i wouldn't have necessarily pegged keegan bradley to be like an amazing rider kappa going into to medina I wouldn't have necessarily even picked like shane lowry to be like one of the few bright spots for europe at the last Ryder cup and and on and on down the list you know so i think like even to like someone like tony Finau who probably won't make this team amid all the madness but like he, i wouldn't have necessarily pegged him as a guy who seems to really come into his own in, in yeah. sort of these team competitions so i i guess i'm kind of filibustering your question shane but I do think there's an element of like you don't know where these guys are gonna come from. That's it's fair. such a That's unique fair. event. Um and
1: also I'd counter that on a couple fronts as well as on at least when it comes to Hovland, I think St. Andrews and last year was the only time it he really looked like, oh my gosh, this is the first time I've really been in this situation. That happens to a lot of guys. Masters he didn't play super great, but he also didn't play bad. It was only maybe like a one or one or two bad holes. I thought he held in with with Brooks. I mean, he took a bunch of haymakers early. I think Brooks was up, what, three or four within the first four or five holes, and then it came down to that 70th hole, and he just had that bunker shot that got caught on the lip. So I I, I would also then say those guys, the Europeans' line eyes, like Sergio, like Poulter, folded like chairs in almost every major chance they had, and yet they were looked at as these stalwarts. Um, so we have to be very careful using... Hey, why isn't this guy got it done in the majors? So, why why should we expect anything different at the Ryder Cup? Um,
2: that's a yeah. good point. The good one point. That, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, it is a good point. The one that, um, the St. Andrews Hovland one was weird. Like, it, when, when you're playing with Rory and Rory's kind of bleeding, and it's like a real lane there, you know? Um, mm. I, I, I that feels like a real like silent miss there for hobland but again
1: yeah. it was his, it was his first time though right and no. first time really competing in the major um that was such a weird crowd everyone was pulling for rory and like i think there was i don't really use the word toxic but it was like this negative energy around the group um it was odd out of the got four, the 14 top finishers at st andrews only two guys didn't break 70 that day and it happened to be hobland and rory in the final group um Yeah, I I think that was just one of those really odd days. Um, I don't think that's an indictment on Hovland or who he is or where he's going.
0: Just a a real quick summary, just because if people are wondering what's happened this year. So four four majors where he was at least sort of in contention in all of them. Masters, he shoots his worst score. He shoots a 74 on Sunday. PGA, as Joel said, he shot a 68, but pretty good round there. And he got really unlucky in that bunker and he finished T2 there. U.S. Open, 72, his worst score. Open Championship, 73, his worst score. So, there, I, you know, I, I give him some, you know, you could all go, he was playing with Patrick Cantlin, and Cantlin was so slow with the Masters. There's a lot of stuff you can say, but I just, like, make the point that the guy has not been ripping it up exactly in major Sundays. And, and the Ryder yeah. Cup is, you know, basically a series of five major Sundays in three days
2: fair enough fair enough all right well let's get to this head-to-head matchup because i'm i'm really genuinely curious with you guys where you guys land and frankly where i land so the way i'm going to do this is we're going to take the um we'll go with a world's list or the world point list excuse me for the european team and we'll just do kind of the top 12 versus the current top 12 on the us rankings the consensus seems to be that Keegan Bradley is probably going to miss out and Justin Thomas is probably going to go in his spot, for lack of it. He's going to be the player who comes in. Um, if we all agree on that, we can just kind of sub him in there and then just go down the list. Does that sound all right with you guys?
0: love it. Yep,
2: I agree. All right, so first up, number one ranked player on each team, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm. Who would you rather have on, on your team?
0: Well, they played. Um, they played a couple times actually. They played at the last Ryder Cup. They've met—is it twice at the W? At least once at the WGC. And Scotty Scheffler's got the better of him uh, every time they've played singles. And yet, there's some big caveats there, which is that John Rahm had Europe on his back for all of Whistling Straights and was probably exhausted. But yeah, in terms of you know overall, what I've seen from them at team competitions, give me John Rahm every time. Uh, He's—I think he's just a, a a war dog, you know, along with being insanely skilled. He was, he was brewed and molded in that manner of Seve. And, Luke, I'm flattering you way too much, but like I really liked the piece that you did on him in his Masters Sunday against Kepka. Just the various body language things he was doing, the various ways he was kind of, you know, not gamesmanship might be too strong a word, but he really has a sense of the moment, and uh, I think that guy is going to be a Ryder Cup stud for years. Scheffler's great, don't get me wrong, but we've seen Scheffler, you know, in the pairs matches in the President's Cup look a little, eh, Look a little not great. And also right now is putting even you know, he wants to blame it on the media. It's, it's not quite all the media, Scotty. Like the, the putting is a little <laughs> struggling right now. So I think it's Rom for me with a, with a stud, not really that tough a question.
2: Yeah. And, and to be clear. So when you, when we're picking a guys, you're not just picking them for singles. Um, You know, like as Shane said, we can, you, you pick them for every, you know, you get this guy on your team. You can use them however you want. Um, Joel, what, what who do you think? Sheffler or Rom on your, on, on Sleepy Beals team?
0: He hates this so much.
2: <laughs> we're actually gonna get a We're gonna get gm after being like, guys. Wait, have have we even explained the nickname? By the way, the various nicknames. So-
1: Listen, first you you miss your alarm by like four hours, and suddenly you're. At- <laughs> <laughs> uh, as I've told you guys, weirdly, I've, I've you know I worked at a golf course most of my life, uh, and just playing on teams, I was always a guy up at like five five thirty, and then twice this year now. It was this and then the player championship. I had a 10 a.m. flight. So I think I had my alarm set for like 6.45 and I woke up at 9.45. So this has now happened uh, twice in the span of like five months. It's it-
0: it's only funny it's only funny because of how responsible joel is that like the it's like it's like calling uh like a nicknaming a fat guy like tiny right like it's yeah. like it's only funny because like one screw up and it, like it's also great like the next day like i had the same thing where i missed the shuttle but i happened to do it a day after joel so i do not like i don't get tagged with sleepy like he gets well, tagged I feel like we had
2: all kind of grown attached to the bag boy um the, yeah. the bag boy nickname too So that's why they call me the rooster now.
0: That's right. So the rooster is just that you didn't miss the shuttle any
2: day. I got got, got up before 11 a.m. on two consecutive days.
0: Up at the the crack of 10 a.m. Calling out like a rooster on the old farm. Uh, Oh, there's the rooster. There's the rooster. I don't even know if he sleeps, the old rooster. (laughs) Uh, Joel,
2: so where where do Uh, you learn on that? Oh, (laughs) shit.
1: Wrong. Uh, Yeah. Uh, preface this by saying I think Scheffler, he played really well at Whistling I, I What happened to the President's Cup, I think, was just this aberration, this, this fluke thing. Um, I, And if the U.S. is going to win, they're going to need at least two and a half, maybe even three points from Scheffler in Rome. It's just, Rom is a generational guy. Uh, I think he's really, he's that good. Um, he definitely buys into the team mantra. He's by all accounts, beloved. Just someone everyone really enjoys being around in these these team settings. Um, Yeah, it's... Again, no shot at Scheffler. It's just Rom. Rom is exactly everything. I guess the best way to put this is obviously we really enjoy the Ryder Cup. The reason the fans gravitate toward it is there's this passion that we have in other team sports that we just don't have in golf. And I think when the when the players get to these events they buy in but some you know like we forget this is their profession right sometimes you really don't know what this event will do to you and, and rom is just one of these guys who's like the avatar for our passion he just really i remember at whistling Straits after they had lost shane you might have even been there he was uh i think we were on 17 t-box when morikawa was trying to close it out he was just talking to a group of reporters and he was like listen as much as you guys love it like I, this is how exactly how I feel too. And yeah. it's really cool to see somebody reflect that type of love we have for it. Um, combined with the fact that he's arguably one of the, not arguably, inarguably one of the two or three best players in the world. So yeah, uh, yeah. It, the one, it's wrong. Can, yeah. I just, uh, can I just say
0: on that real fast, like that's such a good point because there is a danger, like with how corporate everything grows more and more corporate with time, right? It's just the nature of the sport. You could get a generation of guys who are like, oh, the Ryder Cup, right? Like, I mean, to have someone like him or, you know, Rory with that tearful interview he did last time, or, you know, let's give credit to the Americans too, how much they care about it and like how much Justin Thomas cares. Having these guys bring that passion forward is unbelievably important, right? You can't overstate that. Like, it's awesome. It, it's just awesome because it's going to keep us caring. And, you know, it's, it's anyway, that, it's just great. It's a really good point you made, Joel.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, very. I, I'm three for three here, Ram. The one thing, the one Ryder Cup memory um, that Ram sticks with, that sticks with me with Ram, I think he shows himself as like this bulldog, as Shane says, in all sorts of ways. But um, the Ryder Cup in in Paris, where Ram beats Tiger, to me always just stands out because Tiger was exhausted you yeah. know clearly in pain it was doing a you know had played quite a lot um yeah. you know for a guy who was going through what he was going through and he was actually playing quite well against ram to keep it close and ram was just like like a dog with a bone he wanted to beat tiger so bad even though tiger clearly wasn't at his best you could just see that Ti- That ram was in this like maniacal i want to beat my hero mode so much and i just thought wow this guy is just a killer and i've thought that ever since and then everything i see sort of reinforces that with the way he was with brooks the way he won at his first us open it's just i think he's absolutely the kind of guy you want on your team um yeah.
0: the passion yeah. and knowing how to do it right even at that yeah. young age everybody wants to win but i mean he knew how to go get him and it's really cool
2: yeah really cool all right so let's rifle through these next up number two ranked players wyndham clark or rory McIlroy. joel who who do you want of those <laughs>
0: We just saw that. We just saw that. This is easy. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's Rory, although I think Wyndham's going to win a lot of people over at, at the Ryder Cup. Uh, it, he's proven – I mean, he played really well at Boy Lake. I know the final standing maybe was a little bit lower than what it looked like. It was going to be on Friday, but he is showing that he's he's a killer. I think he's going to be really good for the U.S., but, again, Rory, you got to go Rory on this.
0: Shane? Rory with an asterisk, which is that it's, like, tempting to be contrarian. If we were doing clickbait, I would pick Wyndham Clark. Um,
2: yeah, Rory, I actually do Rory's think Wyndham will be quite something. good in this. Yeah,
0: yeah I was just going to say, Rory's got something to prove right in the Ryder Cup. He's got to get back on his mojo. He's been, gra- he's been a great Ryder Cup. I don't mean something to prove historically or anything like that. I mean, and he probably knows this, right? He had a, he had a really bad time at Whistling Straits. He's got to go win pairs matches and be a team leader and all that. Yeah, I
2: agree. I think Rory's the pick. Um, though, yeah, like I said, I do think Wyndham, he seems like a guy who's kind of got a Ryder Cup gear in him. Um, mm-hmm. Third-ranked player, your, guys, your guy Brian Harmon versus Victor Hovland. Um, Shane, who are you going, Harmon or, or Victor?
0: Harmon, I thought there were going to be tough questions here today. That's the easiest <laughs> question I've ever had. Brian Harmon, he's, he's, uh, he's one of the greatest players in the world, and you know he's a dog. He's a dog in every sense of the word. <laughs> fair enough joel i mean
2: joel, that's, joel's that's, a tough scene here yeah. he probably <laughs> as
1: a, i'm actually spamming Harmon's doll as i lee, said lee westwood
0: <laughs> is like perched listening to joel's answer ready to pounce. <laughs> uh yeah
1: i think i'm still going hobbling he's uh I, I just think this guy's ready to take the leap i really liked what i've seen out of hobbling this year um and put it this way if he if hobbling doesn't show up for the europeans that's that could be one of the biggest problems they face because they are banking on their four top four or five guys to really carry them so if hovland isn't that guy europe's in trouble so i'm going with hovland with the caveat that he's got a lot more riding on his shoulders than harman does
2: so that is and as the swing vote i'm also going with hovland i think um He's playing well. I agree. Like I'd like to see him win one of these majors under pressure. But actually, played all right in the last Ryder Cup too. So next up, we got Brooks versus Terrell Hatton. Um, who's leading us off this time, Joel? Who who do you like of those two?
1: Brooks. He uh, his record in team events isn't as good as you would think. Um, honestly, when you think about Whistling streets, there was that weird uh, incident with the rules official where he was. Acting like his career was in jeopardy if he had to hit this shot, um, and I remember a couple of European guys kind of taking note of that. Of man, we, that he was able to kind of they were able to get him out of this game a little bit. But no, I mean, I didn't didn't play great at Holy Lake, but really, really obviously know <laughs> the PGA finished second in the Masters and pretty good week at LACC despite really not liking the course. Um, yeah, it's Hatton's been sneaky shaky at these events um and combine the fact that he's going against brooks it's it's brooks all day for me
0: Shane, let's go with hatton on this one um look brooks i remember brooks and paul casey played that match which felt important in paris a singles match like if he could have gotten the win maybe there was a prayer that we're dealing with a you know medina it didn't happen but it just felt like he was missing easy shots and i'm not killing a guy for one result believe me but Then before whistling straights, you had to make those comments. Remember it was, was it Matt Rudy who did the great interview with him in digest, um, where he was just basically like, I don't really care about the writer. Right. Like, you know, they did a good PR recovery from that. And they, you know, Steve Stricker was on on top of it. And he said, that's not the Brooks I know. And and Kepka then made, you know, said, well, it was not really, you know, true and all that. But yeah, I mean, he just hasn't been like so great at the Ryder cup. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at his like whistling straights performance. He did get the wind over Bern Viesberger. Um, but, you know, like he lost twice on um, – he lost twice on Saturday. Uh, let's I'm looking at what he did. He got a win. Yeah, so he was just like, you know, two and two at Whistling Straits. He wasn't great in Paris. I just don't think he loves this event. Now, your points about Hatton are right, but Hatton did make a huge putt uh, at Whistling Straits. So he has moments, and he's very, very passionate. Um, he, he's going to care just because he cares about everything. It's a question of whether he can channel that sort of rage he has into more of a team mentality – I, it's, it's kind of a toss-up on this one, but in terms of if I'm Europe, like you need, and in fact, we should have mentioned it maybe in that question before about who their real warriors are. This is the kind of guy you need to be like, wow, he went and got three and a half points at, at, you know, Rome. So I'll tough question, but I'll go with Hatton.
2: Yeah, I could, I'm tempted to cook the books and go with Hatton here, but I'm going to go with Brooks just because he's, he's a better player. I, I do think Brooks is, I wonder like who you pair Brooks with. Really, you know, it's it's like kind of a he's such a finicky character that I'm not sure who a natural pairing for him is. But that said, like quality, I think wins out. Um, Hatton, you could see getting paired with a few different guys, interestingly, even though he's kind of prickly on his own, right? But I think head-to-head, I can't put my hand over my heart and say I'd rather have Tara Hatton on my team just because Brooks, you know, when he when he's engaged and he he wants it, he kind of looks like Nick Faldo out there. Um, It's it's
0: funny because uh if you gave me like say any of these players for a major sunday i would take john rom first but probably brooks second but in the mm -hmm. Ryder cup it's like it's what makes it great about the Ryder cup also might make me an idiot but i'm like talking i'm like no this is where you want hatton (laughs) like it may be it may be totally wrong but it's kind of just the nature of the event you need a little bit more of that team mentality maybe I've, sh-
2: I- I've luke-pilled Shane into picking Hatton over the PGA champ without <laughs> even realizing it. And then you've abandoned uh, me. You've abandoned me and gone the other way. Fifth-ranked player, Zonda Shoffley or
0: Tommy Fleetwood? Shane. Shoffley. Easy. Uh, Fleetwood, I am gonna. I think by the end of Fleetwood's career, that Paris Ryder Cup is going to look like a big anomaly. I think Shoffley is a fighter. Now, granted, Shoffley has not done well in Major Sundays, just like Fleetwood hasn't. But I think his... Partnership with Patrick Cantley is is one of the, you know the we call it the Ballesteros olithable of our current American generation. These guys are, and, and so you have to take that into account, right? Like who's Fleetwood going to play with? What are they going to do? You know who Shoffley's going to play with, and you know they're going to win. So for me, it's an easy Shoffley. Mm, Joel, do you agree? Yeah,
1: as as you said when we started this, Luke, it's not just uh, we're not going single by single. It's thinking how they're going to do in the in the team portion of this, and Xander. Xander and Canley are as they're as good as they get in this event. So, um, no no offense to uh, Fleetwood, it's just this these these guys are really really good and it seems like they're only getting better.
2: Mm, interesting. I I'm, I was gonna go with uh, Fleetwood and I'm still I still am gonna go with Fleetwood. Um, I it's interesting to think that that Paris Ryder Cup may be the high point of his career in terms of Ryder Cups. And of course, it is interesting that. It was really Molinari who just played out of his shoes good that week too, um, of course, his playing partner. Um, That said, you know, Tommy's playing well right now. I think he kind of has a taste for the competition a little bit. I think he could be that intangible Ian Poulter type who seems to, you know, maybe... I don't know if he's ever going to win a major. I'd love to see it happen, obviously, but seems to have a taste for the Ryder Cup and especially for the whole team bonding thing. So I'm going to go with Tommy. But, of course, the next one probably picks... Picks itself with you guys, Patrick Cantley or Matt Fitzpatrick, Joel Cantley and-
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting Fitzpatrick's I mean he's getting close to falling out of the he's actually out of the automatic qualifying, right? Correct at the moment? Yep, uh,
2: technically, I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I know he's battled injury this year, but he hasn't just he hasn't really been good outside a couple events. Um I know you can throw Cantley's major record in his face and there's not much of re- rebuttal there, but it, it's to me it's Cantley all day.
0: Shane. Yeah, yeah, big time. Same reasons as Xander. There was a moment um I, I spoke with Ian Poulter uh, for my book after the Whistling Straits Ryder Cup, and I don't know. You don't know. This was actually in the team. Pre- I did do that. But this was in the team press conference. He said something like, "If anybody here doesn't want to be here, or they don't love it, then they shouldn't be." Like a really pointed remark. And I, I've always wondered who he was talking about, and I have no idea. I have no inside information. But there was something about Matt Fitzpatrick at that Ryder Cup and the one before that was just like flat. It just was like completely unimpressive. And it, but it's funny, you know, I, I looked at him then and I was like, oh, that guy will never win a major, right? And of course, he he went and did, and he played awesome. And we all know him a little bit better now, and we all you know we all like him, and he's a really, seems like a really great guy and everything, and a tough competitor and a hard worker. But does he have that fire, or is he kind of that like? Remote, sort of like everything's at a distance, kind of guy. You know, it doesn't it doesn't strike me as someone who gets in the mud. You know, and so I I, I don't know what value he brings to the Ryder Cup, especially with the points Joel brought out about you know his recent form. And you know, Cantley is Cantley. I mean, he's playing with Xander. That's that's our team.
1: I, yep. I do think of all the guys who we've talked about this loss of a generation with some of these uh, guys who've gone to live and have lost their, their surrendered their European Tour membership and thus ineligible. I think actually, though, having those guys out might help Fitzpatrick. It sounded like there was kind of a weird dynamic between that older group and young. So having him kind of now, I don't want to say be an elder statesman, but kind of going from one of the last guys on the team to now being a guy they're really counting on, I think should help him a little bit. And um, obviously, he gets along well with Rory and Hovland. So I think, yes, he's had a really rough stretch in 2016 and 2021, but I think Patrick's going to be a lot. Fitzpatrick's going to be a lot better than we've seen in the past two Ryder Cups from him.
0: His I um, think so. his Ryder Cup record is zero five and zero, <laughs> so it's not it's not been great. It hasn't been a good start for him. It like, can only go up, I suppose.
2: Gone slightly unlucky with like you know stuck with Westwood a bunch on the last and during the last. Oh Ryder for Cup sure well. for sure. So um, I actually do think even though this is like I know he's like oh five five and zero, but um. I don't know. If I was a player, I wouldn't mind playing with Fitzpatrick, especially now. He hits the ball further. Hits the ball straight. Hits the ball far. Hits a good putter. You know, good decent short game. His driver, he's been spraying around his driver a bit. But um, but yep, currently for me too. Next up, we got Max Homan substracker. Um, Shane, who do, who do you want of those two?
0: Yeah, Homa. I mean, it's um, I'm a Homa Homer big time. But uh, just put it, trying to be as objective as possible. You know, he was phenomenal in the Presidents Cup. And that's not the Ryder Cup, but it does show you. It gives you a sense that he loves this. Um, he, I think he's a great team guy. I mean, just you know, he can play all, all that kind of stuff. I just think home is good. Straka could be great. Don't get me wrong. I be really interesting to see, but he's completely untested. We don't know anything about him. And uh, also, he's American, so he shouldn't be allowed to play for Europe. No, I'm just, <laughs> just, just obviously, just, obviously just joking about that. But yeah, yeah. For me, I mean, Homa, I think is going to be one of our, you know, bright spots. Uh, at least attitude-wise, I think for years to come.
1: Joel, with who he's played well with, uh, I, I think you pair him with Morikawa in this event. It's a it's a pretty mean team. Um, played well with Finau um, at, at uh, Quail Hollow, so not he his game fits a lot of other guys. Um, and yeah, it it's interesting for all the questions we've had. Is is this guy just kind of lightning in a bottle? Um, to what he did last fall really showed like, oh man, like not only is this guy good, but he takes his game up another level with the when this team environment um as much of a platitude as that sounds to him it really fits the bill.
2: yep, I like I'd go Homer too, um even though I think that would be all right to me, Homer kind of yeah. is to me homer and uh, and uh, and Fleetwood kind of looks look like uh very similar profiles to me in terms of like, you know, nice guys, other good locker room guys, good ball strikers can seem to have a taste for the competition. I, I'd love to have him on, on Team Year. Um, all right, number eight, the two eights Cameron Young and Shane Lowry. Um, Joel, who, who do you like of those two? Well, that's, a, that's
0: a toughie, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think I'm going Shane Lowry. Um, I, I liked he was. I was really taken aback by how fiery he was at Whistling Straits. Um, not necessarily towards the event, but he had no aversion to kind of getting in the face of the Americans a couple of times. Um, and I, 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 loved it. I, and he, he's somebody who I think if they do set it up like Paris, his game will play a lot better there than it did at Whistling Straits. Um, no, it's maybe, it feels like for the last two years, we've always had like, this watch out for Shane Lowry at all these major events, and it never has quite happened. Um, but yet I still think that ceiling is there for really to show what he did at the 2019 Open wasn't just this like fluke four days. I think he's his game is really setting up well for what this event should promise.
0: Shane, yeah, it's really tough. The, the thing with Lowry is you know he's going to bring the fire. I mean, he said. I think you had that great quote at the end of Whistling Straits. You know, we just got our butts kicked and it was the greatest week of my life. And that's how he feels about the Ryder Cup. He's very much cut in that cloth. He's going to be so excited to get another chance. He's going to play hard. Right? It doesn't matter. You know, we don't know how he's going to play, but he's going to play hard. You know, Cam Young, sample size, really small, one and two at the President's Cup. His game is better, right? Like overall, he's just a better player. And I think he's going to be a better player than Shane. Lauer. As good as Shane Lowry is. Cam Young is, could be you know multi-time major winner and all that kind of stuff. Cut of his jib, I don't know. He keeps himself real reserved, right? I, I talked to him in, at the Open a little bit, just with the other media. There's there's something distant about him, so I don't know how he's perceived by the other players. You guys probably know better than I do. Ooh, God, just his game, though. His game's really, really good. I'll, I'll give Lowry the nod, just, just based on spirit, but it's close. It's like a coin flip for me almost. Mm. yeah well i'll make it easy
2: because i'll I'll go lowry too um i think you get the best out of rory with lowry i think you compare with hatton if you had mm-hmm. Hatton on your team you know he's pretty amenable guy good short game it's a bit weird to me i would love to, you know i i would love to see shane lowry be one of these perpetual top 10 in the world players um which is something it's, it's strange that he won an open that hasn't happened yet maybe it will but that said um there are lots of, you know, European Ryder Cup teams are littered with guys like Shane Lowry. You know, emotional leaders who te- seem to play their best golf in the Ryder Cup. All right, let's buzz through the rest of these.
0: Um, Jordan Spieth or Justin Rose? Shane? Spieth. Love his attitude. Love everything about him. You know, Rose is good, but Rose is a, um, you know, kind of a lone wolf type guy in my mind, even by, or especially by European standards. I, I think Spieth. I think he's always great at these events.
1: Joel? Yeah, it was, it's, I think it was pretty telling that Rose was never really in the conversation for the 2021 Wesley no. Straits team. Um, and yeah, we don't have to get into why, but it, and just speeds on the opposite end of that spectrum. I know he's not playing particularly well right now, but yeah, he speeds all day.
2: Yeah, I'd love to see, I'd, I'd love to see Rose, but, um, yeah speed's already won the argument and and of course like i think speed is kind of uniquely good for match play too just the way he he plays golf right um he the, the, there's some real value there in being able to conjure up something out of nowhere i think that was in some ways sevi's rider cup magic right You could hit it into you <laughs> could hit it into a bush and somehow get up and down speed kind of has that quality too um Absolutely. yeah and uh yeah, it was a good one. So we're subbing out Keegan Bradley. We're putting in Justin Thomas and placing him against Bobby Mack. Much as I love Bobby Mack, I don't know. I don't know. This is a tough singles match for him. What do you guys think?
1: Can we just yep. move to the next question? Uh, do we need a list?
0: <laughs> <laughs> JT, of course, of course. Yeah, Bobby Mack's funny. Bobby Mack's one of those guys that a lot of Europeans want to put a lot on, right? Um, and he may be great and he's been, you know, he's had his moments at the WGC. He's had some, you know, he's a cool guy. Seems like a really good personality. He's, you know, we'll see untested is untested is putting it mildly. So JT, obviously
1: it's kind of odd, right? He's had, I mean, almost won the Scottish and played well. It was like the maiden Hemerland tournament. Aside from that, like it's been nothing. So the fact that he's this high up shows you how big of a stretch it like I think he had some top 10s earlier this year, but even those were like, you know, in Korea. like um, might have been like a Kenya top 10. It was like, it's been very odd. So the fact that he's this high up, um, I think is a little, this is when it starts to become a little jarring for Team Europe.
2: Yeah. So then next up we have in the 11th role, uh, Colin Morikawa or Adrian Moronk?
1: Are we drinking the Maran Kool Aid? Because I... everyone seems to be really excited about him. And, like, listen, I'm I, watching him, you can see it. Um, but I also wonder if we're trying to latch on to, like, the new toy that we're forgetting. Like, how, I don't know. It's, don't get me wrong, I, I think he should be on the European team. Um, he might already be, for all we know. But I, I don't know it, against Morikawa. I mean, he's Morikawa's the guy, and I, I do wonder if we're all setting Moronk up for a possible no show.
2: I think we're putting a lot on Moronk's shoulders, but I think on this, if 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 there's like variations of if if Luke pilled is you know the step above Shane, I think I've been John Huggin pilled on Adrian Moronk because the guy hits it a mile he makes tons of birdies He's finished first and second at this course in Italy to me like I know Morikawa is a better player obviously Colin Morikawa is a better player but I think I would rather have Moronk on 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 my team in this context um sorry Shane I kind of cut you off but
0: yeah no, it's good. It's good. I think uh I'm Luke pilled on Moronk. I just think like there's something about him that I am. We'll say the one thing is that I was really impressed at whistling Straits. Mark Hall wasn't coming into that in very good form. And he put in a lot of work. And I mean, I'm talking about including up to the morning of getting on that range and pounding. He cared a lot about playing well and he went, you know, four and oh in the in the pairs matches. And what did he do? He tied, I think, in the singles, but he he was kind of unlucky not to get the win. Um so I, I was really impressed more Mor- Mor- call. I'll put it this way. He's going to be there. He's going to be trying his damnedest uh, no matter what to be in good form. Moronk's untested, but he's fun. So I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to split my vote. I'm going to go half of each. I don't, I, I don't have a pick on this one.
2: Ooh. Okay. Well, I'm the host. So I'll say Moronk wins the day. And then um, Fowler, the final, the 12th sport, Ricky Fowler versus Seamus power. Um, even though I think Seamus be all right to me, this is a, this is this is a this is a rookie, a relatively easy rookie win.
1: Yeah, I mean, do we think Sheamus is even going to be on the team? I guess that's a yeah. bit bigger question. It seems like Fowler is something would have to kind of really go weird the next couple weeks for Fowler not to be on. Um, e- either him going south or a couple guys we just don't see coming winning some playoff events. Uh, Sheamus, man, it looked so good there last fall. And now it's kind of looking like just some of those. Hey, maybe he was just being on on weaker fields and hasn't quite translated to the to the you know full season as we know it. Um, I like his game, Seamus's game a lot, and I, I think he's got the capability to be there. But at the same time, we just haven't seen it over the last three months.
0: You know, Fowler is an interesting case in the Ryder Cup where he gets a lot of not a lot of credit, but he gets credit as kind of a workhorse. He's 3-7-5 and five in his four Ryder Cups, right? So he hasn't had a, a great Ryder Cup career. Um, I don't know if that's his fault. I remember, you know, at Glen Eagles in particular, he kind of got put in some really bad spots by Tom Watson. He had a bunch yep. of ties with Jimmy Walker, and then he, they threw them out completely exhausted to get steamrolled by um, Graham McDowell and Victor Buisson on that Saturday afternoon. So, you know, it, I'm, I'm not putting that three seven five record 5 record on his shoulders, but it's not the best record, right? You know, Seamus Power, I mean, almost like Ryder Cup-wise, he'd be a blank slate. It, it's funny, like, you know, almost in my head, I, I think of him as separate from the other Irish guys just by virtue of how much he's played on the PGA Tour. It's, like, kind of been a different path, and he's not, like, a really outrageous or outgoing, you know, character or anything, so he flies under the radar. I don't know, but, I mean, I, I don't think this is, like, the, an easy question. I might take Seamus Power in this one. It's tough. It's tough. I think,
2: I think you pick a guy like Seamus Power or Ludwig if he jumps in a spot. It's just because you're wondering, like, who does he match up well with right like I think if we were to do this in individuals you would you know you would maybe split one of Zonder and Cantley, for instance right like you may take Fleetwood over and then you take Fleetwood and Cantley, for instance or whatever but you take both of them together because you know they play well together that might be enough to win Seamus I mean but though of course when you're just going head to head you've got I I would pick Ricky um cool so that's the 12 we'll probably do that we'll probably revisit this at some point it's been an interesting thought exercise my count with shane's split on moronk is uh four and a half to seven and a half it's like does that add up 12? for the Amer- yeah. for the americans yep so oh, sorry excuse me seven and a half for the americans four and a half to europe my tie-breaking voters host means seven to five so um kind of I, I think that's a fairly even split i feel like there have been more lopsided european teams in my in my in, in my memory as a Ryder cup fan
0: so um See, the thing you have to remember though is in the Ryder cup you get to sit your four worst guys and it's the great equalizer in the pair of sessions right and so that's yeah. that's you know it's that's the thing that europe has going for even though it, you start to get down to the bottom like joel said, and you go "Oof, this, this could be a, a big problem but you do you and its strategy comes into it it's what makes this event so great so I Um, I guess my only point is that, that's what I said earlier, it looks better for them now than it used to. You know, two years ago. One of
2: the great, uh, probably one of the key moments in European Ryder Cup history... In European in the European team's Rudder Cup history. Um, as I recently, you know, I'm listening to Shane's Cup They Couldn't Lose book on my as an Audible um on the way back. And I didn't realize that they wanted to add a second single session. I totally forgot about that back in the day for TV ratings. And Team Europe yeah. kind of staved that off Tony Jacklin, right? Because he knew that would just be a huge advantage for Team America. Um yeah. could have been, I guess.
0: It Something is funny like to think that if you didn't have a guy like Tony Jacklin what this would have become. I mean and somebody who was so you know visionary and and a, a pioneer of this stuff. Not only did he change the European team around but he knew at that moment like you said Luke no way I resign if we do this. I mean like you yeah. know foot you know post in the ground you you shall not pass. This can't happen any one of the day. There's certain hills you got
2: to dial and that was a mm-hmm. good one to pick for Tony yeah. Jacklin. All right. Before we wrap this up Quick appreciation to, to my king, Nick What? Well, a quick question to you guys. What made Nick Faldo just such a stones Ryder Cup player? Um, he, he won 75% of his matches before 1985, which is when Europe was notoriously struggling in this competition. He was still sort of a serial winner. He's won the most matches of anybody in Ryder Cup history. He's won 25 points in total. He had a pretty killer partnership with Ian Woosner and he uh, made a hole-in-one in the Ryder Cup in 1993 and secured the crucial vic- singles victory over Curtis Strange in 1995, who finished bogey, bogey, bogey to help secure a Europe win on U.S. soil. Um, I always think it's interesting the lessons we can learn from players past. So I guess Joel, like, think of a guy like Nick Faldo. Like, w- w- what what is it about? What is it about the unlikely character of Nick Fowler that made him such a Ryder Cup asset?
1: I mean, he was ruthless, right? I think it was, it was Sandy Lyles <laughs> like and Sandy Lyle played on Ryder Cups with Fowler. He's like, wouldn't even say hi to me if he walked past me? Uh, <laughs> and but like at the same time, like that focus made him so good. I mean, it's why he was so good of a player. He was able to kind of block out everything else and just focus the task at hand. And against an American squad that was still, you know, they looked at this until pretty late as an exhibition. That that lack of camaraderie back and forth. I mean, Sevvy kind of gets the credit for the gamemanship, but like Fado was just—I mean, there was an anger he would admit from the, from the U.S. players that would take him out of their game because they really wanted to beat Fado, and Fado just played his own game. Um, I think that's why. Yes, it didn't make him the most endearing in his own locker room. It's it's kind of why he was a train wreck as a captain. One of the reasons why. Um, but in terms of his own play, uh, yeah, he there was just this. And, you know, he also – there was a flair with him, but he also didn't really make a lot of mistakes either. He kind of let – like it wasn't like he had these like daring birdies or like was saving – from out of nowhere it was it was just applauding in the best manner and he let everyone else kind of screw up and let kind of the the game come to him um it just kind of last night going through some of the highlights it's amazing just as how folk like just i won't say focus but just how ruthless and efficient like he actually (laughs) i know you're called the rooster uh which is we all know was the uh call sign for miles teller's character in top gun maverick Faldo reminds me of Iceman, of just stone cold. Legitimately, he does not give you an inch. And it's by the book. You might not like him, but, man, it is, in totality, it is so damn impressive to watch. That's, to me, one I think of Faldo's Ryder Cup record. That's that's what sticks out. It's really yeah, well.
0: Put. and Yeah, Shane, what do you think? Well, it was really well put by Joel. And I, I think what Faldo... The legacy of him for me, I won't say any more about his playing because Joel captured it. 1999, which was the first one he didn't play in in a while, uh, he sent a note to Mark James to be read in front of the team, you know, saying good luck guys and everything. He wasn't made a captain's pick and he had no chance to be. Mark James tore up the letter in front of the team and threw it in the trash bin. That's what they thought of, you know, Nick Faldo. And this to me is uh, one of the things they say, why does Europe beat the U.S.? You know, especially 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Well, partly because, you know, the Europeans like each other so much. Obviously, that's not universally true. I think the legacy of Nick Faldo, to me, is how well these guys come together, no matter what they think of each other, and bond for while they're playing that week that they're playing the Ryder Cup. Nick Faldo was a legendary player. He wasn't the most popular among his fellow pros. But it's just like you can see in him the spirit of Team Europe um that you can have this guy not only have this guy and have people get along but he's a great leader and he contributes to the team and they all they all play together and it works while they're winning all these Ryder Cups doesn't work with him as the, at the helm you can't have a guy like that be captain that's a nightmare but as a player it does work and uh that it just goes to show you know like 20 years of playing Ryder Cups 23 wins there it is i mean it's right there on paper
2: absolutely and yeah i think you guys put it perfectly i mean for me to kind of joining both of those points to me when i see nick falder the way he played majors and the right and the Ryder cup too is that he that guy would just stay in it you know and 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 i feel like there's a lot of there's like some kind of lesson there right where you just you keep applying pressure of every single shot every single hole until the last possible shot and just gives yourself more opportunities for things to happen, right? Like it may look like it's not going to happen, right, up until the very last moment. Scott Hope misses a tap in on the final, right? <laughs> like it's right. yeah. just, and that was Faldo, and that is such a good quality to have in high-pressure situations like the Ryder Cup, is that you can just hang around and you can just be consistent and un, not very flashy sometimes, but you're just kind of in it and you're staying in it, and I think that's what faldo was so good is that you know his, his ability to just kind of hang around and suddenly oops curtis strange makes a bogey oh he makes another bogey oh faldo's in the fairway on 80. it's just this mm-hmm. constant like thing that you have to deal with and like if you're gonna beat him you know faldo lost in Ryder cups he was beaten in singles and stuff he wasn't a po- but you, you you had to learn it if you got a point over nick faldo and i think that no matter what side of the what side of the ponds team you're on i think that's just a maybe the the most important quality in a Ryder cup in a Ryder cup player
1: it's kind of weird especially given that he transitioned into broadcasting but i feel like his career has become somewhat lost at least on the under 30 35 generation they know he's won majors but they forget how good his ceiling actually was and for for i for, i just can't figure it out why um maybe it's because maybe it's because of that broadcasting stint and how that was perceived by some but yeah, it's you go through it, and it's just aspirational what he did. It's it, I, w- I wish we had more players like that who just had that. They weren't trying to be friends with everybody. They were just there to do a job. And, um, yeah, it was it was really cool.
0: How many of his major wins were duds, do you think, Joel? <laughs> I got him. He, he, he held it together for a second, and then he lost it. I got him. I got him. <laughs>
2: 1996 Masters. Not even close in the end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Complete dud. (laughs) Oh
2: (laughs) Well, well, on that note, Bag Boy Shane, thank you for joining us. That was awesome, man. Thank you, too. It's been another episode of the Ryder Cup Radicals podcast. I'm not sure when we'll be back, but we'll be back again soon. Probably with a less biased host. So until then, Haribidechi.